Welcome to episode 4 of the Socialist Rifle Association podcast. This is your host, Alex Yumba, and we have plenty to talk about this week, so we'll begin with an update on the organization. In the last week, our central committee was formalized, with the members that will be participating in it ratifying by unanimous vote a copy of our bylaws that we have submitted now to the membership. These bylaws govern everything from the powers of the committee to the rights members can expect within the organization. They'll help us to be able to run things a bit more formally than before, as we've kind of been just doing things as they came along, but no more. Now there'll be a formal structure and a formal process for the organization to continue to become more democratic as it becomes established. Other than that, the organization continues to hum along just fine. We had plenty of new member signups, I believe almost a hundred in this last month. So we continue to grow at a very reasonable rate for an organization of this nature and size. And I look forward to all the new members coming aboard, participating in discussions, participating in organizing their communities, things of that nature. We're going to go into the news segment of this with some follow-up on last episode's stories, particularly with the story of 3D printing and Cody Wilson's DefCAD website. Now, there has been a lot of developments on this in the last week or so that since the release of the last episode, a federal injunction has been served against DefCAD to keep them from releasing the design files on their website. However, these files already made their way out on the internet. There's multiple sources that they can be reached at, and this injunction order seems to only apply to Cody Wilson, which is a strange way to word it, but I'm not, I'm not complaining. We'll say that. Now, again, like before, there's all sorts of stuff that goes into this story that there's a lot of misunderstanding a lot of hysteria surrounding it especially from the news media that has just blown this out of proportion just absolutely insane how much this has whipped up into a true hysteria people talking about how these will be ghost guns that can go past metal detectors and how every criminal is going to have these on the streets and just all these things that already were the case before, but because of this particular website, because of Cody Wilson's efforts now, everyone thinks, thinks that this is a strange, bizarre occurrence that demands all this attention, when really it's not. The ability to manufacture firearms already was mostly unregulated, and... As far as ghost guns are concerned, it's already federal law that guns have to have, I believe, 3.7 ounces of steel in them in order to be detectable in metal detectors. So there's there's nothing new about this. It's just a easy thing for the news media to push out with scary headlines about, again, criminals getting ghost guns and whatever when it's really just not the case at all for that. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on this story. I'm sure it's going to come up on the podcast many more times in the future. As again, a federal injunction was achieved. There's several states, I like 8 to 20, suing both the State Department and Cody Wilson in some degree. However, the likelihood of these lawsuits proceeding is very slim. I'm surprised they even got the injunction granted myself, but... I'm sure this will get taken care of in due time. I just hope that 
Mr. Wilson has his legal team up to speed and has the resources to pay them for their services. I'd also like to do some follow-up on the DSA, and in particular uh, Alexandra Ascasio-Cortez, that there's been some more media coverage about her and the DSA, and I'm sure they'll continue to be. I'm not going to follow up on it into the future forever, but I did see an article on NPR, and I always find fascinating when NPR is writing these articles, publishing these segments about stuff like this, because NPR is, for the most part, not very biased. They do have their biases here and there, but they tend to be a pretty good example of what as best of an unbiased news source that is popular that you can get, I'll go ahead and say. So I, I find this interesting quote here that they have from Joe Cernelli, who is a founding member of the West Virginia DSA chapter. His quote is as follows. I think we just need to realize that the end goal is ultimately like social control of the means of production. You know, we don't just want to improve capitalism. We will ultimately want to get rid of it, end quote. So I think this is interesting because it does show that there is a vast difference of opinions within DSA that is sometimes hard to see on the national scale, and especially with people who are electable, we'll go ahead and say, people who can get into elected office who aren't considered complete fringe radicals. Because there are people within the DSA and there are caucuses within the DSA that advocate for true honest-to-goodness, socialism, communism, what have you. And and I think that's important to see that I, I do see a lot of people dismissing the DSA out of hand because the national organization isn't that great and isn't very radical. But I think that does ignore a lot of good stuff going on at the ground. I mean, I, I know people within the SRA that were officials within the DSA that had that similar experience that locally... DSA is pretty good, but on the national scale, there's just so many problems that it's difficult to justify working with them. So I just wanted to bring that up as a thing to say that there are people in there who hold to true socialistic leftist views and aren't just social democrats that just want welfare. And so I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that we should be careful not to dismiss an entire group of people out of hand. The organization, yes, the national organization, there's a lot of troubles. I I do not really feel much support for the national organization, but I think that local chapters can be a lot more radical in their beliefs, a lot more leftist in their beliefs, and that it's important to build leftist unity wherever we can. And additionally, it's a good outlet for talking to people who might be ready to make that complete switch over. It's a good opportunity to be able to talk to those people, discuss ideas and ideologies with them, and get to a better point. So that was just my soapbox for that. We'll move into some new stories, in particular a spat of unionization efforts that have gone across in the U.S. Now the three I want to talk about today is the efforts to unionize in Tesla, the electric car company, Amazon, the gigantic world-eating warehouse company and shipping goods company, and Office Depot, the place you go to get your printer ink. Now, these are all very different organizations, very different companies and corporations, that they all have different types of workers doing different things, but 
a single common thread amongst them all is that their workers are trying to unionize and not having a very good time of it, primarily because unions threaten the bottom line of companies, or more importantly to the company, the bottom line of executives who need that great big income or shareholders who need substantial increases in stock price rather than actual growth of the company that could assist workers. So in Tesla, this has actually been going on at Tesla for, I believe, almost two years now, and I'm sure before that even then, but the United Automotive Workers have been trying to unionize for, I believe, just about two years now, and they haven't had a very good time of it because Elon Musk is a very big popular figure, and he has used his public stage, his public platform, and his influence to try to stop these unionization efforts to the point that now there has been a legal crime against the company to the National Labor Relations Board that might actually end up forcing a union vote there because if they can convince the board that Musk was intimidating or otherwise threatening people who were trying to unionize at Tesla. Now, the thing with Elon Musk is that because his platform is so big, he has this very disturbing cult of personality around him that, honestly, he seems to think of himself as a real-life Tony Stark, and people seem to want to believe that he is. And I can understand why. People, people want superheroes to be a real thing. People want superheroes to exist, and for this idea of the rich entrepreneur capitalist to be able to save our problems with incredible technology. And I'm very confident that if Elon Musk could make a flying suit of armor and go fight super dimensional enemies, that he totally would, and he would probably tweet about it all day long. That seems to be the life he wants. But that's not the life he's got. He's just a capitalist. He does he is an engineer. I respect him for the fact that he's got some engineering smarts to him. He does have his degree in everything. He doesn't seem to be a unintelligent man. He does seem to have the ability to do great things. Unfortunately, how he does that is not very good because not only is he a workaholic, he applies that philosophy to everyone. I know from talking to people who have had internships at companies he's run like SpaceX or Tesla, the engineering staff is just overworked beyond belief. And that includes assembly workers as well. People on the f factory floor are overworked. People in the offices are overworked. Because Elon Musk overworks himself. And he seems to think everyone else needs to do the same. So not a good start. And then his political beliefs, his ideologies, not not good. We'll go, and go ahead and say he's a very libertarian capitalist sort of guy. But because he has this huge cult of personality around him and because he has all this influence, he has decided to take it on Twitter and other platforms and essentially threaten workers by being passive aggressive about things like stock options or layoffs or what have you that not real threats, but just kind of, you know, passive aggressive statements that could be construed that way but aren't necessarily and that's why he's facing these labor board allegations that he's his passive aggression got too close to aggression and now 
he might have to face the consequences of that, which I sure do hope he does, because those consequences would be organized labor, being able to negotiate better wages and better working conditions, which apparently, based on what I've been reading, and I'll post some sources on this in the show notes, conditions in the Tesla factories are just not good at all. That this high-end, high-tech factory of theirs has all sorts of health risks involved with it, inhalation hazards, pinching hazards, all sorts of things that are not being taken care of appropriately. OSHA's been called in before. Uh, it's, it's a lot of stuff that maybe the government can fix it, or maybe workers can just organize themselves and fix it, which would be the better solution than getting government bureaucrats involved that can just be misled or otherwise influenced by things that are not the best for the workers. In a similar vein, we have Amazon, uh, one of the world's most valuable companies now, the top five most valued companies. Of course, Amazon's business is shipping us all of our groceries and other online frivolities merchandise to our doorstep. And, you know, I've, I use Amazon. I'm not going to lie. There's no ethical consumption under capitalism. I've tried to really limit my usage nowadays. So I'm not going to lie that there's people who use Amazon. I'm not going to call anyone who uses Amazon because, again, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. If you're in the position where you don't have to use it, then please make that decision not to use it. If you don't have to, then don't. But I'm not going to hold it against anyone who does. That's besides the point, though. So labor in Amazon is just terrifying. They have unconditioned warehouses, which having worked in an unconditioned warehouse before, I can tell you isn't very pleasant. They have outrageous productivity goals that they drive people basically to stroke based on what I've read. That there's serious health allegations about it. That people are taking their restroom breaks in bottles because they can't get to the restroom because either they aren't given the break or the break room is too far away. So there's been talk of unionization at Amazon, but again, efforts aren't going very well. There are Amazon unions in other countries, but here in America, to my understanding, the Teamsters haven't organized any Amazon warehouses yet. Uh, there's also a couple other unions that might be able to organize other than the Teamsters, but I know the Teamsters have been trying to organize the Amazon warehouses for a while now. Too little success because Amazon uses a lot of temporary labor. So it's a constant revolving door, and if you constantly have workers coming in and out, it's very hard to get anyone to stay long enough to be able to successfully organize and get a union in place to begin bargaining. Definitely, though, the conditions there aren't going to change until organized labor is able to stand up and say, no, this stops here. And then we have Office Depot, which is an interesting case because it's not a huge company. It is a pretty big corporation, but it's not massive. It's a brick and mortar retail store, which is just interesting because retail in general doesn't have a whole lot of unionization to begin with because, again, it's temporary labor quite often. There's a lot of seasonal labor involved with retail. There's also... The problem that a lot of retail labor being low wage is done by inexperienced workers, low skilled workers that 
might not have experience in other workplaces where unionization has happened, it's a lot easier to convince somebody who's young, who doesn't have a lot of skill set to unionize because oftentimes a lot of fear that that's if that's the only job you have and it's as low paying it is it is you can't afford to be able to risk losing your job over organizing no matter the legality of that that's a very hard thing to ask of anyone and especially somebody who with a very low paying job with very little savings that's that's a very hard thing to ask but there's been a lot of talk online about unionizing at Office Depot. There's a Office Depot subreddit where it's been talked about. There's other outlets in social media where it's being talked about to the point that the company held a training meeting for its management and supervisors. Uh, they used every union-busting tactic in the book in that little presentation they gave. There's just all sorts of crazy language in there. Apparently knowing your rights is a buzzword or buzz phrase or whatever that indicates that people might be about to make a union so there's just all that crazy stuff in there and i'll post the link in the show notes so that people can go take a look at that it's just it's outrageous still i wish these people the best of luck in organizing their workplaces workers need to be organized everywhere in my opinion and hopefully they have some more success in the future than they have in the past it's always hard to tell where the state of unionization is because every time a workforce unionizes at one company, another company loses their union. So it's always hard to say where these things are going, but I can't hope. And hopefully the numbers come out to show that, that maybe unionization is rising in this turbulent economic time. If it doesn't, then we just have to keep on trying. I would like to conclude with calling back to the... Tesla situation, uh, Elon Musk's girlfriend Grimes, uh, she's a Canadian musician. Apparently she posted a tweet saying that she wanted Tesla employees to unionize, but that they just didn't have enough signatures because the United Auto Workers abandoned the factory, which is half-truths and everything else. She has since deleted this tweet, by the way, but she was trying to say this in defense of her boyfriend that... She was advocating for the union, so of course if he wasn't, then maybe this makes up for it somehow, and the answer is it doesn't make up for it. To round off the episode, I'd like to discuss a news story that isn't necessarily tied to leftism, firearms in particular, but it's just uh, something out there in the political world that I think from time to time this show should be able to talk about just politics and news in general, and that is the ongoing issue with the Trump administration and the Russia probe and the obstruction of justice and everything else involved with that. I'm sure anyone who's been following the news has heard about this many, 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 many times. This is something that's just constantly abuzz with updates and new information and new scandals and new breaking news about this. Today it came out, uh, Trump tweeted that I'll quote it directly here, beginning, quote, Attorney General Jeff Sessions should stop this rigged witch hunt right now before it continues to strain our country any further, end quote. So that was a Trump, Trump treat. And there's a lot of stuff to unpack here. We don't have time to unpack it because you could make an entire documentary series trying to unpack this whole thing, and you'd probably still leave stuff out just because there's too much to go into. But I think looking at this from a leftist perspective, there's a lot of discussion on the left of what 
what your opinion be of this? Because did was there interference in the election? Wasn't there interference in the election? Is Trump here because the Democrats failed? Because the Russians rigged the election? What what should we think? What what's the correct opinion here? I'm gonna go ahead and say there is no correct opinion. I think this whole notion of let's get the correct opinion on this situation of Trump and Russia and interfering with the elections. Let's get the correct opinion. That's that's not. There's many opinions to be had about the subject, and they're all informed from different leftist thoughts and theories that we can have. I do think though that there's a lot there that misses the point when we discuss this, regardless of what the evidence points to. I personally, from the evidence I've seen, it seems to point to the fact that there was, in fact, foreign involvement in the election. I don't think this is a good thing. I also don't think that that's the thing we should be focusing on, because that draws it away from the fact that this has been building up for decades now. I don't think that there was a wide-scale election fraud that just completely threw the election, because what we are seeing is a reaction. We are seeing the rise of a reactionary movement in America, and it is a reaction to the failings of the capitalist system. To say, to blame this all on mysterious foreign agents coming in and meddling with our democracy ignores the fact that our democracy has been leading us to this point for a very long time. Trump is not the first individual to come out with opinions and views this extreme and this far right. He is simply the first to rise above the churning sea of politics and get to the point where everyone must focus on it now. And so, of course, there will be the reaction to the reaction. And this is exactly that. The old capitalist class is now reacting to this. This is why the Cook brothers recently have had a spat with Trump and Trump's called them out on Twitter. And now we see these two oligarchical groups feuding it out of each other because they represent different interests. They all have the same core ideology. They're all capitalists, but there is the old-style conservative capitalism, and then there is the reaction to what this has caused. So by focusing on Russia and by focusing on these things, it distracts from the point that there is a widespread political movement across the United States to not only go towards the reaction, but to enforce it. That this is the policies proposed by Trump have been talked about by senators and Congress people and state governors all before. I mean, Mike Pence, his views on religious freedom and abortion and LGBT rights, he was doing that all when he was a governor. And now he's on the national stage and now he gets to have Trump appoint a Supreme Court justice that's going to enforce those views at the highest level. That is not because Russia got involved. Mike Pence is not here because Russia got involved. Mike Pence was a successful politician before this. Whatever may or may not have happened, it's irrelevant because this would have happened anyways. Because America was presented with the option of going along with the reaction, of going along to this ideology and this political movement that is creeping ever closer to the American version of fascism by the day, or to go along with the old-style conservative capitalism, and people are going to lose their collective 
brains by me calling somebody like Hillary Clinton an old-style conservative capitalist. But that's what she is. That's really what she is. If you look at her political beliefs throughout the years, maybe conservative isn't the best word for it, because that invokes different things in the American political spectrum. Because, of course, Hillary Clinton was a supporter of welfare, and she was a supporter of all these things that we consider socially democratic and liberal ideas. But she is very much part of the old guard. She is very much invested in keeping the status quo. And this is the difference. The reaction seeks to change things. And this is why I say conservative, because conservatives seek to hold the status quo. Conservatism at its core is that things are good the way they are. Things will work out the way they are. Let us not be too hasty in making any significant changes. Hillary Clinton was not proposing any radical new ideas. Increasing the minimum wage is not a radical new idea. Expanding on Obamacare is not a radical new idea. Obamacare itself was not a radical new idea. It was just government subsidies of a capitalist system of healthcare. This is nothing new. So in that sense, Hillary Clinton could be considered an old-style conservative, that she was not seeking to push things forward very much at all. And her progressive points that she had were mostly out of sheer populism, that there was just such an overwhelming support for it that she had no choice but to acquiesce on it. That's why, if you go back to 2008, both her and Obama were both speaking ill or not very good of the LGBT community. This is why, if you turn back the clock even more to when her husband was in office, here she is supporting her husband with all these very neoliberal, borderline conservative policies that he instituted, with all these cuts to welfare that he instituted and that she defended. So that wasn't Russia. Russia didn't make Hillary Clinton out to be that. Russia didn't make Trump into what he is. Trump is just a focal point of the anger and the raw energy behind the reaction. And this is why leftists can't get caught up in this debate. Because, yes, there is an answer. There is a fundamental, factual answer. Did Russia get involved or not? We don't have enough evidence to say one way or the other yet. There's evidence that points towards it being a thing. But but it's the wrong, it's the wrong mountain to die on. It's the wrong hill to die on here. This isn't the final battle. This is a complete distraction to the fact that we have an entire political system that has been built up into these poor options. And that's why you see the lies of leftism now. This is why you see the DSA and more radical elements within it starting to come to the forefront. This is why you see the rise in social democracy, which is itself a reaction to the failings of capitalism. So the real takeaway we should see from this is not that there's foreign involvement, but that the old guard is so fearful of the reaction, and even more so than that, so much more fearful of the left and the left rising up. Because while the reaction will change things, the old guard can survive that. Leftism tears that all down, and so they cannot stand to see the left rise. So instead, there's all this focus on foreign intervention, oh, there's foreign interference in our election, which just distracts workers from the fact that, no, the, the the Russians aren't the reason why the economy is The Russians aren't the reason why we all need two, three, four jobs. And there's literally people out there working four jobs to make ends meet. They're not the reason for that. They're not the reason for our economy 
continuing to funnel wealth into the upper, upper echelons. And no amount of taxation is going to fix that. It's a band-aid on the situation, but taxing the rich isn't the solution. It's abolishing that social order that is the solution. But I've been rambling on long enough, so I'm going to conclude on the statement that be thoughtful when you're reading these things. Be thoughtful not only of the information you're digesting and taking in, but be thoughtful of why that information is being presented to you. Be thoughtful of what somebody's goal is when they tell you something. Because very, very rarely does a corporation, an individual, the news media, anything, tell you information without having a goal in mind. I tell information with a goal in mind. I have a very specific goal. This is the leftist podcast. I want to promote leftism. That's that's my goal. Now, I try to be honest about it. I try to present good information and good facts. But I still have a goal. I still have an agenda. I'm not going to be able to deny that. This is definitely not an impartial podcast. I'm going to say it right now. But just be thoughtful. Be thoughtful and be understanding when you're taking in these articles, these stories, these pieces of information that we all absorb in our everyday. Just be thoughtful. That's my that's my moral of the day. Be thoughtful. Well, that wraps up the episode for this week. I'm sure some of you noticed we have switched podcast hosts. I've gone from SoundCloud to Simplecast. I'm trying this out. Simplecast has a better RSS functionality. I'm getting this submitted to... Apple Podcasts, I know it has successfully gone onto Pocket Casts. That's an app for downloading podcast feeds. If anyone uses Pocket Casts, we're on it now. You can find us there. Uh, it also allows me to track statistics a lot better. It allows me to see where people are coming from. It allows me to really get a good grasp on the st- information so I can try to expand the audience, get this out to more people. So hopefully it goes well. It does cost a little bit of money, but you know, that's something I'm willing to pay. I don't get reimbursed for this podcast at this time. If it gets popular enough in the future, I'm probably going to start a Patreon for it. But the organization doesn't reimburse me, and that's that's fine. It's my own thing. I have a lot of independent, creative liberty for this thing. And anytime somebody starts paying you for something, part of that goes away. Also there in the beginning, we had some new music that was made courtesy of Faye Equer and Ally to very great members of the SRA. They've done a ton of work for the organization and really helping us get along. And as I didn't have any musical ability, they were able to provide some excellent tunes to put there in the beginning. So a big shout out to them and a big thanks for their contribution. So we'll see how this goes. And hopefully this continues to be a good podcast. PNT people continue to like and listen and definitely always leave feedback if you've got it. I'm always open to feedback. So until next time, seize the means of production.